0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are listening to a Rattalusion Broadcasting Premiere Podcast. Damn you, Hollywood! And here's your host, Robert Twin. For yay, uh, yay!
1: Don't do that. Yay? On, don't do that on stream. It, it's sprite green can. Uh Right. Well, now that this video uh, has now uh, has been uh, dumped, uh, like no money, none for this one, and Twitch community strike number two. Why assume. Uh, hello, you can't blame everyone. me this time? I don't know what you're talking about. This is this is soda. Hello, at least put it in a bag like a normal person. Go on. <laughs> Hello, everyone. My name is Robert Winfrey, as uh, I was introduced. Over there is Mark Radlich. Hi, Mark. Hi. And joining us for this episode, we have Jason Teasley, who is moonlighting as Wesker minus his douchey sunglasses.
2: <laughs> yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't find my sunglasses. So, Or the terrible dialogue for the original Resident Evil game.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it wasn't great. Well, tonight we are reviewing Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City, the attempt to rehabilitate this franchise after years and years and years of Paul W.S. Anderson dragging it through the muck as a starring vehicle, starring for his wife. <laughs> and if you want thoughts on that, there's a long road to ruin that I did kind of with Sean Comer and Mark, and Mark and Sean also... No. Put-
0: You never did a Long Road to Ruin for Resident Evil. You're imagining things. No, sir. Okay. We did the... Sean and I did the on trial for the first Resident Evil, and then we just did the final chapter. Yeah. We missed all the other ones in between.
1: I could have sworn Sean and I did something for that, but I might be misremembering.
0: You are misrem... You... You are misremembering. Okay. When do you think you did this? I don't know. Years ago. Are you sure you're not thinking of Hellraiser? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Quite. Cuz that I know you did and we posted that one already. Again,
1: I'm I could be misremembering. You, you know what I think it is? I think it was planned at one point and then it fell through.
0: That is entirely likely. Because I <laughs> because,
1: after, because I would never have watched any of those movies after the first one unless I was doing it for a show and I know I've seen
0: Yeah. I'm I'm on my Block Talk radio page right now, okay. and there is no Resident Evil besides the on trial that Sean and I okay. did. And, I And I, I don't th- think and we weren't doing Long Road to Ruin for the vast majority that I've been on Spreaker.
1: Okay, I think I think it was planned mm-hmm. because I watched several of those movies. I suffered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I even had a gag for like the fourth one that's mm-hmm. then like in Las Vegas.
0: Uh huh.
1: I had like rewritten the convoy song. To be about that movie.
2: Oh. I kind of, I kind of want to want to hear this. I don't
1: remember what it was. I know I did it because that song amuses me. So, so uh, I think it was planned, and then it fell apart for one reason or another. So,
0: yeah, I'm going to tell you right now it fell. Apart.
1: Okay, which is fine. It happens. Yep. Um. Anyway, so we're trying to rehab this franchise after that long, drawn out mess. <laughs> And what we get is "Welcome to Raccoon City." Another long, drawn-out mess—not quite as long, but still a mess. So, Jason, this was your suggestion. So yes. yes. So this was. I'm curious why you decided to pitch this. Just out, of, just idle curiosity. You know, your 50 words or less on what you were looking forward to about this, if anything.
2: Um, Resident Evil is probably one of my f- all-time favorite video game franchises um, to play. Uh, loved it from every aspect. Figured, based on the trailer with the homages and the Easter eggs, this was going to be a resurrection of the uh, IP. And I was wrong. And it made me long for the original Clusterfucks of Resident Evil.
0: So, look, the original. The studios for this. We have Screen Gems, Constantin Film, The Fizz Facility, which has no hyperlink, (laughs) and The T Shop and Film Company, which has no hyperlink. And this was distributed by Sony. So, we're already starting off with one foot in the hole here.
1: Yeah, you know, One Foot in
0: the Grave seems apropos.
1: Uh, all right, if no one else... If there's nothing else we want to do before we get into this, I will... Uh,
0: well, I, I did want to talk to Jason for a minute. Yeah, um, so I listened to the Critically Acclaimed guys talk about this movie, and one of them apparently has played the games, and he said that the, the one thing that this has going for it, the one thing, is that it tries its damnedest to incorporate as many of the first two game elements as they can this this was in service to um to paying as much tribute to the details of the game as possible and you've since you've played the game i'm assuming you've played the first two so you would know what elements from the first two games are, are being uh, mashed together in this movie and what aren't i i want to know what did you think of that? At at a, at, the, at a bare minimum, did the movie at least do a great job of capturing the iconography?
2: Yes. And I want to I want to correct something. If they said it was the first two games, mm-hmm. uh, I can get one up on them because chronologically is the first three games because Code Veronica uh, has a lot of Easter eggs and things in this world, which is one of the uh, earlier chronological games that came out after RE2, I believe. Uh, but chronologically, it is one of the first games, and it helps set up everything, especially with the whole Wesker thing, mm-hmm. um, uh, the homage to the twins, uh, and ha- a lot of uh, umbrella Easter eggs that, you know, it gives them a lot of backstories when Code Veronica came out. Now, this had a lot of Easter eggs, uh, a lot of like almost shot for shot mm-hmm. um, scenes that came straight from the first two resident evils and code Veronica. Uh, most notably is the very first time you see a zombie in the resident evil game
0: mm-hmm.
2: is portrayed in this movie is when they go to the mansion and you see the, Scientists in a lab coat eating mm-hmm. someone slowly turning. That's the very first zombie you ever see in the Resident Evil.
0: Right. I actually uh, remembered that. I, re- I remember that in the dog.
2: Uh, yes. And uh, also another iconic thing that it was almost shot for shot was the truck driver that mm-hmm. starts off Resident Evil 2. Uh, that he uh, hits a girl, goes out checks on her. Uh, they, had, they changed it a little bit because of the dog licking up blood when in actuality in the game, uh, he turns his back, he's trying to figure out everything, and she bites him, uh, and he just kind of throws her off. He gets in the truck, and he starts going on into Raccoon City, and then you see, you know, the, the deterioration as he's barreling down the street, and he crashes in front of the police headquarters. But to go back to that, a lot of the Easter eggs in this, were straight out of the games um mm-hmm. so the ip was uh they did a really good job incorporating and staying close to the source material mm-hmm. it was just done poorly
0: yeah well that, they- that's what we're about to get to but i at least wanted to right from the start at least give them the proper due respect of because i think the big problem with the first Resident evil correct me if i'm wrong guys um in this order robert and jason that the pr- the big problem with re- the original resident evil was outside of it takes place in the mansion go strays a lot from the source material and kind of goes its own way
1: yeah it does uh, whether you think that's a problem or not i think is largely an individual thing mm-hmm. um it it's a really we have a really weird kind of a dichotomy when it comes to this because the first resident evil movie like it's a resident (laughs) evil story in spirit rather Mm -hmm. than in uh, it's clearly inspired by the yeah uh, but it's not very much it's not so much an adaptation of any of the games necessarily Mm -hmm. this one sticks incredibly closely to a lot of a lot of what goes on in the games and yet they're both kind of a mess and it really should just be a bit of a case study for everyone out there. Choosing to change things or choosing to adhere to them when you're adapting something, neither has intrinsic value. You have yeah. to know what you're doing, what you're changing, why you're changing it. I think that's the movie's
0: there. greatest like, greatest folly is that it, it lived to serve fans of the game and they still couldn't put together a good movie. And we'll talk about why in just a second. I'm going to give you... Uh, an opportunity to weigh in on this, Jason, and then we'll jump into the plot, synopsis. Plot.
2: Uh, yeah, um, but yeah, it was, I mean, the original Resident Evils was basically the first one. If it was called anything else besides Resident Evil, mm-hmm. I think it would have got more success. Sure. Because the only uh, homage to the games were the dogs, the laser, uh, the laser scene, um And the T virus itself. Outside right. of that, uh, you know, just sprinkling some names references in. That's it. Uh, and then the, you know, uh, something you actually see of this is is the train scene at the end. You know, that was homage, but it strayed so far away that it could have been titled anything else, and you had the mm-hmm. same movie. Uh, and then as the movies go on. They started trying to retcon stuff, shoehorn stuff in, shoehorn characters in. Totally uh, outside of what they actually were in the game, they just wanted to have these characters named Leon, named uh, Clara, named uh, Chris Redfield. They just tried to shoehorn these people in into a storyline that made absolutely no sense because if you look at the original film Mm -hmm. series of Resident Evil... There's no coherent strain of events. It's mm-hmm. all over the place. It's like um, just throwing spaghetti at the wall, seeing what sticks, slap a Resident Evil name on it.
0: All right. All right, Robert, take it away.
1: All right. So this movie takes place in 1998. And in case the big title card at the beginning of the film does not cue you into that particular fact, the bevy <laughs> of stupid <laughs> contemporary references will. What's a chat room? You going to Planet Hollywood? Maybe you should hit up Blockbuster and rent a movie.
0: I believe Someone... Captain Marvel fell out of the sky at one point.
1: Someone playing on their playing uh, the Snake game on their Nokia phone. A Palm Pilot.
0: That was my favorite one. That at least I, I got a laugh out of that one. Like, which is no- actually
2: really uh, is actually in the first Resident Evil game.
1: Yeah, it, it makes sense. Like, that's one of the few things, that's one of their few references in this that feels organic because mm-hmm. it kind of was up there technology at the time and would have been a good way to distribute that kind of information pre-cell phones, pre-smartphones, rather. So we, t- uh, we actually open earlier than that with Chris and Claire Redfield as residents of an orphanage in Raccoon City that is owned and operated by the Nefarious Umbrella Corporation. Um, Claire is somewhat like pseudo-menaced by uh, Lisa Trevor who was a uh, giant waste. And I'll get to that. I can tell <laughs> about that later. Uh, and there's some theoretical scares. We jump forward in time to 98 where Claire is hitchhiking her way back into Raccoon City. Raccoon City itself is becoming a bit of a ghost town as Umbrella is relocating there facilities and that means most of the people and the jobs and everything are drying up so the town's dying Uh, she's going there to find her brother chris who's one of the police officers also around this time we're introduced to our comic relief leon kennedy turning leon into comic relief was certainly a choice who's a a rookie on the uh, on the raccoon police department And she shows up. She and her brother are a bit estranged. She ran away from the orphanage. He stayed. He became pretty close with one of the lead, uh, with one of the umbrella bigwigs, Dr. Um, Bilkin? Yeah. Birkin. Birkin. Uh, Played by Neil McDonough. That poor man deserves better. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Everything starts going to hell. Uh, It turns out that resident uh that umbrella had been using this town as a bit of a perpetual testing ground for their pharmaceuticals they had some kind of a leak uh this is what what leaks the t-virus and what turns people into zombies and whatnot um a few of the uh, rpd officers go up to the old go up to a mansion to investigate the claim of a body a bunch of people are sent up there after them. The chief of police tries to leave, but the city is being cut off by umbrella forces because we must liquidate everything that was here. Uh, we get the we get the pretty standard stuff in the police department. If you played the games, you know what's going on there. Claire shows up there. She, Leon, and the chief try to escape. They're ambushed by liquors when they get to the uh, when they get to the orphanage. Uh, concurrently with all of this, we have. They're never named, which seems stupid considering they used this as part of the advertising, but the Stars group, which is uh, Chris Redfield, Albert Wesker, Jill Valentine, and Redshirt. (laughs) Uh, they They explore this mansion. They're ambushed by zombies. A couple of them die. Wesker this whole time is being given instructions by a mysterious other entity who wants evidence of Umbrella's wrongdoing. Uh, a bunch of them die, but they all turns out there's a big tunnel connecting the orphanage to the mansion, and they all head into this tunnel. They all meet up in the middle where Wesker winds up killing Dr. Birkin, who has come back to try and claim his life's work. He's gone a little bit mad, don't you understand? <laughs> uh He gets shot by Wesker Wesker then shoots his Hang wife.
0: On. We all go a little mad sometimes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
1: I appreciate you getting my reference. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh,
1: they all again. They all kind of meet up. The doctor's shot, but he injects himself with the G virus, which t- mutates him into tyrant. Tyrant. That was it. I, I couldn't. I can could never remember <laughs> that thing's name. Starts muti- mutating him into the tyrant. He chases them. They head further underground to a train station, where they get on the train. <laughs> and leave the vicinity to avoid the impending explosion, which is what uh, Umbrella's doing to wipe out all evidence of their wrongdoing and to contain the infection. Uh, Tyrant gets, uh, gets blown up with a rocket launcher because, of course, uh, our, plucky, our last few heroes do escape, There's our surviving members being the Redfields, uh, Leon and, the, and Dr. Bergen's daughter, Sherry. And they manage to escape the horror and the carnage. mid credit scene reveals that Wesker has been brought back to life by Ada Wong and her organization as sequel bait.
0: There's all not right, much Jay. here at all. All right, Jason. I know you've been chomping at the bit for this, so... Whenever I get a hundred text messages from you about something like, <laughs> and the hilarity is, is like, I'm not even thinking about this. I, I stopped thinking about this movie as soon as I got up to pee at the end of it, but you know, but I'll get like a hundred messages from Jason. Let me tell you all the ways in which this was a crime against humanity. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> so uh, Go ahead, Jason, read the list of, leave the list of crimes. this thing committed.
2: Let, let me grab my soapbox and climb upon the, Um, this, like I said, I mean, it got some things right. Some of the visual cues are outstanding. When you first walk into the exterior interior shot of the, uh, RPD is almost picturesque from the games. The, um, the Astro twins. Awesome. Uh, you know that you get that little backstory. The, um, Spencer Mansion, uh, the exterior, interior of it, straight out of the games. But then, outside the visual cues, you go off the rails because you change a lot of stuff that um, was dear, near and dear to a lot of gamers' hearts. Uh, like, Leon is not a bumbling idiot. He is a highly trained a uh, cop who just so happens to show up on his rookie day at the uh police. Um, no, Leon Leon's in stars. It's uh, um, red Chris Redfield is not an idiot. Uh, they that they portray him as. Um, yeah, it, it's he, he is more competent than this movie uh, portrays him. Um, the whole uh, Dr. Birkin and his wife, uh, That, they tried to stay kind of close to it. Mm. They did his wife no justice because in the game, she's equally as important to the storyline in Resident Evil 2 as he is. uh, And she is actually helping him try to get the G-Virus out. Um, they, They totally did Wesker wrong. I'm sorry. Wesker in the game is a complete douchebag that is has no redeeming qualities he's working against stars and at every turn he's just a smart ass douchebag with horrible dialogue Mm -hmm. this they got the horrible dialogue down perfectly but they tried to make i guess they're trying to build on uh the guy's uh popularity from umbrella academy They tried to make him kind of likable. I was
0: trying to figure out where I knew him from. I had to look it up after, but yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. they're trying to make him likable because I guess... Nobody
1: watches Umbrella Academy. It doesn't matter that
0: much. Uh, We've only reviewed both seasons.
1: Uh, Look, Okay, so uh, you know what I mean. I'm just poking (laughs) at you. (laughs) But yeah, I mean,
2: but the plot of this, they had really great source material to go off of. They had the the iconic uh, visuals was there. The writing suffered so bad because there were scenes that they they gave away some of the best stuff in the trailer, mm-hmm. such as the first zombie viewing. Um, the they totally changed the. Um, I can't remember his name right off. The helicopter pilot. Uh, They just made him fodder when he actually plays a huge part in the games of Resident Evil. um, One of the Resident Evil one where he actually is the one that escapes uh, a nuke that goes off in the city. Uh, They didn't go. They had a really good opportunity to go into the whole backstory of the Spencer mansion and How Umbrella Academy came—I mean, Umbrella Academy—how Umbrella uh, came to be and chose Raccoon City because of it was just a outlier town that they used the orphanage because who misses orphan kids, Mm -hmm. you know? And I mean that—that's basically what how they portray it is because an orphan is—you're not going to go hunting for runaway orphans. Because they don't have a home. There's no home to go home to. So they're the expendables. And I don't mean like Sly Stallone. Uh, But this movie had so much promise. I was so hyped when I seen this. Like I begged you, Mark. Like we have to review this. And as soon as I seen it, I sent you and Robert a message and says, (laughs) Please do not quit being my friend when you watch this because this is bad. It makes you feel better. I
0: would have done this no matter what.
2: OK, that doesn't make me feel better because then I then I I feel bad for for your soul anyway, um, because that's how bad this movie was. Uh, and I told I, I think I told you, Mark, uh, when I went into the movie, mm-hmm. one of the ushers actually looked at me and went, are you, are you sure you want to see this movie? And I was <laughs> like, yeah. He said, no, I'm being serious. And as I left, he looked at me and said, I know you watched that. If you want a refund, just tell him. He said, I know how bad it is. (laughs) So, when you're being offered a refund after you see the movie because you're the only one in there, yeah. And this is such a storied rich IP. And now Mm. I'll shut up and get off my soapbox.
0: I look, I haven't, I think I played the game once when it came out many, many years ago. Like I, I was telling Sean. I remember the dogs, and I. And now that you mentioned, I remember the first time you see the the, the bent over uh, scientist, and he looks up and he goes, "Ah." Um, how, how does that. he do it? Ah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> rawr! <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> for those
1: of you who don't know, Mark did extra work in Hollywood. <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway. Uh, I I consider myself more a director than an actor, but anywho, um, yes, okay. You move the
1: you want to move the furniture around the
0: screen. <laughs> so, here's what I'll tell you: just I, I I could not relate to this movie as a person who played the game. I just watched it as a movie, and while well, I I can respect that it you know. As an elevator pitch, and them going, well, what do we do with this IP that's been sitting on our shelf that W. Paul W. S. Anderson drove into the ground? Um, They were like, well, let, let, what if we try to capture as much of the game as possible? And I really respect them for doing that. The problem is, as Robert said, doing that in and of itself doesn't make your movie good, right. and you might and you might satisfy. Like I've heard some people say that they liked Resident Evil because I they think they're huge fans of the game and because it it mirrors the game as much as it does they equate that with good you know film craft or they or or at the very least they had a good time with it therefore it is good which does not compute but enough but enough about ghostbusters anyway um so uh here's what i will tell you about the film craft this thing was shot poorly um they they went for the dark and creepy you know it was a dark and stormy night aesthetic um And there's a way to do that, even when you're shooting most of your movie in the dark, to at least make it readable. This thing is not readable. Um, They can't seem to pick a direction with what they want to do (laughs) with this movie. You know, it's the town is dying. But you don't get you don't get enough of the town dying to really like they they talk about it enough, but they, uh, they talk about it but they don't do anything with it. I mean not not to reference my favorite show or anything, but you get <laughs> the they tell you Baltimore is falling off oh, in, here uh, we go the,
1: check it off the bingo in, into
0: the Chesapeake Bay, you get that sense and all they did was shoot on the actual streets of Baltimore. Um you don't get the sense that this town is dying, even though they want to tell you that repeatedly. That umbrella is pulling out, and the town is collapsing. Um, you know, they they seem to settle for well if we show enough, if we show enough towny inbred hicks, that'll give people the sense that the town is dying. And I'm like, no, no, no. no. You really need to do more establishing shots. Like no. there was a there was way too much focus in fetishizing the zombie aesthetic. And not enough establishing shots on setting so that you had a real sense of what this place was and where it was going and what are the stakes, you know, if it gets overcome by zombies or gets blown up by umbrella. I I got none of that. I was basically as confused. Matthew used to say I was in a video game that I couldn't play, which is boring as shit. And, you know, not to get into the same fight that I got into over Eternals, but what makes this movie objectively boring is that when you're not watching the mindless, senseless zombie violence, there's nothing that hooks you into the plot. There's nothing that makes you care about any of these people. They some of them give some of the cast gives adequate enough performances with the crappy script they're given, but it's not enough, in my opinion, to pull you along to make you care about anything that's happening. And that that was, so when I say I was bored with this. You know, for I this this, someone referred to it as blessedly short. It comes in at just over an hour and a half, about an hour and forty-seven minutes. Yeah, it felt three hours, and that and that includes the naps that I took in between because I kept (laughs) passing out. Um, I so. They're not so the, the characters themselves, while occasionally funny and certainly you know good-looking Hollywood people, are not particularly interesting. And I don't care if they live or die. The star of this thing, God bless her, um, uh, Kaya Scodelario. All right, Claire Redfield. She's she's a she tries real hard. You know, she um, she's doing her damnedest, but they don't give her anything that made any kind of sense to me. Uh, the, a lot of the dialogue she's given to me doesn't make a tremendous amount of sense. And I think like the direct her, her direction was really poor. Like, I don't I'm not one to blame the, the actor or the actress when I'm not seeing a good performance out of them, because I feel like. That's on the director. I think you know to to get to this level, it's not like we're watching a B or C level production here. These are well, well, it sure was
2: shot like a B movie.
0: Well, and I mean, what I'm saying is the the quality of level of actors at least primetime television, and these are not the worst actors on the planet. Many of them are are truly great actors. So when I'm when I'm getting what what feels like a crap performance from somebody,
1: uh, hang on. Idle Curiosity. Yeah. Who in this movie is a truly great actor?
0: All right. Well, Robbie ML has done some television work. He was in Upload, which we reviewed here. Um, he's on. he was on the tomorrow people. Like I said, a lot of these a lot of it's like, you know, television actors. Um Neil McDonough is fantastic. Yeah, in, in Look, just about anything he does. McDonough's a good
1: character actor, but he's Donald not- Logue
0: was on Gotham and he's you know, not bad. That's not
1: that is not a ring. He was also in Sons
0: of Anarchy. Uh, yeah. Kaiusko,
1: Claire yeah, Redfield. He, he, look, <laughs> the the uh, the police chief is one of the more one of the more recognizable faces in this movie. Okay.
0: So you may have recognized remembered her uh, from the following movies that we've covered on here. Okay, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales, Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil and Vile, and Crawl. Yeah, okay. I don't remember in Crawl. Who was she in Crawl? Uh, in Crawl, she was Bimbo number star, three. Haley, she was Haley Keller.
1: She looks radically different with blonde yeah. hair. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like radically different.
0: Yeah, I was surprised that that I was surprised that she was in that too. I was like, oh my god, that's her. Like now, now
1: that you mention it, I vaguely remember her for like. Look, Pirate, Dead Men Tell No Tales is a terrible movie. Mm-hmm. So is Crawl.
0: Hannah John <laughs> came in, um was in Game of Thrones, Ready Player One. Uh, she plays Ghost and Ant Man and the Wasp, and she's in Netflix's The Stranger. She is not a bad actress. Um, she's in Black Mirror, an episode of that. Uh, she's on Brave New World. Like you know, I, I it's hard for me to lay this at the feet of the actors when you're not no am some real completely crap here.
2: Yeah, it was poor writing. Now, just to go back on something real quick, mm-hmm. uh, the establishing, uh, you know, the establishing. Be real stuff. Uh, this is like if you took the original Silent Hill movie mm-hmm. and ordered it off Wish.
0: This is what you <laughs> y- You are not wrong. Um, so, I I'll, I'll start to wrap this up so that Robert can have his say, and we can just move on with this review. <laughs> a lot of the action is unreadable, um, and and, I've, and like as I've already said, if you don't give me a, a, an opportunity, if you don't give me a reason to care about. Your cast, then it doesn't really matter what happens to them, and all I'm left with is does the scene look cool? None of the scenes look cool. It's all just there's a lot of quick cuts, poor edits, or and 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 it's all kind of poorly lit. So I just somebody referred to the third act of a Marvel movie as you know as the Marvel CGI slurry. This wasn't even that. This was like a mocha shake being you know shook all over in <laughs> front of the camera. I'm like I I don't know what I'm looking at anymore um the dialogue in this movie is probably the worst thing about it it is so it's bad up there
1: it's really um, up
0: there it was a little hard for me to follow the plot but i'm you know you guys can say whether or not i'm being fair about that or if it's just you know like if i knew known the games i would have known the plot but then again, again it's no. not so on the people who make the movie to make this so that even people who don't play the games can understand what's going on i i had a hard time following what was happening um it takes forever to get going. That first act is interminable, and I and again, I really feel like they were going, for, they were trying to go for. Let's get the scares in early. Let's get people who are fans of the game hooked with all the all this different iconography. Meanwhile, those of us who haven't played the game or watch us going. Is anything going to happen? Wait, or could you explain what is happening? In, I, I it in just... fairness to the first act. Mm-hmm. That... I think that's
1: hampered more by the flashbacks than by anything that's actually happening on screen. That's fair. I, yeah, think, I, if I, you, I think if you cut those out, mm-hmm. you have a decent first act that establishes – again, it's not a great – It's the establishment here is not great, mm-hmm. but it sets up the, uh, the couple of primary locations we're going to be in well enough, mm-hmm. and you get decent tension building. It, yeah. It's just poorly – you're, I would agree cut, with you. They just cut out the with stuff it.
0: with the orphanage and just started up with, you know, yes. Claire hitchhiking on the road. And I don't know why she had to be on a mission to convert the Jews. Why she just couldn't be visiting her brother and zombies attack. You know, I, I, I that drove me crazy because there's now everybody, every movie we we feel, I feel like we've reviewed, there's always some conspiracy nut running around going, don't you understand? I have uh, I have seen what evil lurks in the hearts of men and they must be here to stop it. And they're like, oh, shh. Did, did every writer in Hollywood attend the same hackney class? My yes. God! Look, they, um, all,
1: they all read the same stupid book on screenwriting <laughs> called "Save the Cat," <laughs> okay. which was written by a guy who sold in his entire career one screenplay that's one of the worst movies you've ever seen.
0: So his name is Forty. <laughs> that's a you joke, everybody. All right, Robert, go ahead. Um, if I if I continue to going, I'm just going to end up repeating myself.
1: All right, here's my biggest problem with this movie. This feels like a fan film in the worst yeah. way. Probably. Yeah, yeah.
0: This, this has a lot of those same, like giving into your worst impulses. This feels like if Chris Bailey were a big fan of Resident Evil, this is the film he'd make. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and there's an, we're gonna, we have to add that to the bingo card. Marks takes a shot at Bailey when Bailey's not on the podcast. <laughs>
0: Yeah, he'll be listening.
1: Hi, Chris. He's not. He's not on the podcast. Is all.
0: <laughs> I'll, I'll look, I thought like I don't take shots on him when we review wrestling.
1: That's well, again, like shooting at each other when you're on the same show is one thing.
0: <sighs> Move on.
1: Uh, no, I kind of want to keep going about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's probably a more interesting conversation than what, this movie
0: is what it would it have been better if i said this is the movie that ronnie adams would have made if if he if he could make resident evil i can keep going this is the movie that alexis Hannon would have made if she could have made a, uh, a resident evil movie
2: no and, no don't even go down that route because it would
0: <laughs> this is the movie that Mullen part. would have made if pat Mullen could make a resident evil movie no, that's, because you know, that.
1: Now that's not true, and you know it.
0: Yeah, because it would have been, it, there would have been a lot of
2: gratuitous violence and nudity if Pat would have made this movie.
0: All the women would have been topless and hot. <laughs> exactly.
2: It would have I mean, been a. It would have been an up on night USA
1: Network, and it probably well, still would have. And it probably would have starred Dolph Lundgren and Sylvester Stallone.
0: I hope. We're already <laughs> pitching a better movie here.
1: I'm not saying we're not. I'm just <laughs> saying. Dolph Lundgren as Whisker. <laughs> yeah. Like, why not?
2: <laughs> Sliced alone as Leon S. Kennedy. Pamela no, Anderson no, no, as no.
0: Claire Redfield. Topless. And, in a no, no. I, no. I, no I what's it.
2: what's her name? What's the chick from uh varsity blues? can I've um, never seen it. I've never No, it, it, no, no, Topanga would be in Claire Redfield because we all know that pat loves boy meets world oh yeah okay
0: hang on if, if this is the pat mullen version of resident <laughs> evil the movie hillary duff plays claire redfield that so,
1: that's that's very true that's true
0: all right now that some I, point. now that i've insulted half the people that are my friends that i work with go on <laughs>
1: look no one should be insulted by that we it, it goes to how well we know them True. <laughs> Like I don't think we've said anything that would be that they disagree with.
0: People listening to this who have never listened before, who the fuck are all these people? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a,
1: this is a network of podcast people. Okay, so just, just pop I, everybody's I, picture up as we talk about it. <laughs> just the insert. I met just for I mentioned that that's a problem. If you don't know the games, you will ha- you will struggle with this movie a lot. Mm-hmm. You won't quite get the fan service or the Easter eggs, and that that's not the worst thing in the world to have. Look, the the, excuse me, the settings are not can be cool enough even if you've never played the games to see the Raccoon City Police Department building. It's a nice building. It's very cinematic. You're stalking through the mansion, even if you've never played the games, you can still you can still be engaged in those things, and those are those are fine. The Ashford twins was a bit of an odd choice. For this moment to be where Claire goes, No, they were experimenting on it. It's these two people she's never seen, never heard of, never met before. (laughs) Like, there's that was an odd choice. Um,
2: Just a film reel that has Ashford Twins labeled on it, and you jump to that conclusion.
1: Yeah, it was really odd. Um, The inclusion of uh, Lisa Trevor, what a waste. And again, if you're not, if you don't play the games, if you've never played them, that character means nothing to you. And consequently, her inclusion in this film winds up being nothing but a quasi Deus ex machina to get away from liquors and then open the door.
2: Yeah, it, because that's because and this experiment gone wrong. That happened when they were in the orphanage, and she just so happens to remember who Clary is.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of. <laughs> It's just not a decision that needed to be made. Uh, the entire finale sequence, you're, you're correct, Mark, that it's it's hard to read. And it's a shame because the tyrant is a cool villain. Oh, yes. And he kind of winds up wasted here. Uh, still better than Nemesis from the second Resident Evil movie, but well.
2: I want to see a Mr. Nobody or Mr. X.
1: Yeah, the la- Mr. X is kind of an important figure if you wanted to yeah. do something more with that. Uh, the zombies aren't especially scary, um, which is kind of a... Pr- like, I think that's my other big gripe with this movie. It's not scary, and no. the action isn't good. So what are we hanging our hats on here as far as yes. <laughs> appeal for this thing? Uh, you mentioned that the dialogue is awful. I'm not going to completely bury the actors here. You've mentioned some of them have some other decent credits to their name for better and for worse, but this was definitely, this is going to be a
0: black mark on all of their resumes. Uh, I was going to say they're all, they're all quality television actors. I can't see any of their next projects being if the, what the what they're not already contracted or filming right now. Like whatever their age, like whatever their agent gets them, that's brand new and exciting from this point on is going to be strictly television for a while.
1: Uh, and guess none what? Of Mark? These
0: people were shown in this movie to be able to carry a feature
1: and probably
2: network television at that. Yeah, Mark, you know what to help this movie a whole lot. What, Jason? If they would have used Grammarly to write the script,
0: <sighs> okay. I, I knew as soon as you went down that road. First of all, we do an entire segment that's dedicated to Grammarly. Why are you jumping ahead? Because. Everyone wants to do my job for me. Everyone's such better podcasters. Just do it without me. Anyway, right. this tantrum was brought to you by Grammarly. For <laughs> you, listener,
1: you listeners of the of Damn You Hollywood on the W2M network, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively more effectively. Uh, Whenever you write on the internet, places such as Google, uh, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and anywhere else you happen to write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of punctuation and spelling mistakes, as well as catching contextual errors and suggesting style improvements. Oh, I missed the vocabulary one. I've recorded, I've re-recorded my intros for old shows so much, I basically have that thing memorized at this point.
0: Yeah, I was going to say that was pretty impressive. For those of you, of so,
1: for those of you who are interested, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M Network. Once again, that's getgrammarly.com slash w Network to download Grammarly for free. If you would rather not type that into a search bar, there is a link in the description below. <laughs> You're the one who wanted to have a tantrum. <laughs> anyway, you all, go on. Uh, yeah, it, this is devoid of scares. Some of the zombies are a little bit creepy, but anything that like gets towards the creepy is utterly unexplained and not in the good way. like sometimes the unknown makes horror more effective. sometimes it's just frustrating. Here it's just frustrating when you want to know what they're doing, and Neil McDonough just says, "God's work," and you see one of the <laughs> you see one of the zombies on a table with most of their internal organs removed still alive. Like, that could be a scary sequence, but because you don't understand anything about what's going on, it just becomes one more question mark. Uh, So that was a a, a kind of a giant waste. Uh, it's, It's devoid of good action. It's devoid of anything genuinely scary. There's a handful of stupid jump scares that you see coming a mile away that aren't even effective as jump scares. And boy, do you have to be a terrible, terrible movie for that to be the case. I can't even say anything good about the music, and no, I'm not trying to set you up, Mark. I gen- like genuinely, the music for this is over is either absent or completely overbearing and more annoying than eerie.
2: Yeah, I can't even remember any music from this movie. That's how bad it was.
1: Uh, you called this like the wish version of the first resident, uh, the first Silent Hill movie, a movie I very much enjoy, actually. Yeah, and I think you're correct. Like that, that's mostly what we've got here. It's It's not good. I I genuinely don't think I can say too much of a positive thing about this. Outside of some of the shots that it cribbed straight from the video games that look okay. And that's kind of it. If you're not in this for the Easter
2: eggs. I got a quick question for you, Robert. Because I know know what gets your goat. uh, And that is poor CGI. I want to know what you thought about the liquor and the final form of the tyrant, because they were vastly two different things. And one is much better than the other.
1: Um, If you want to know the worst CGI in this movie, it's the dog walking up on the police chief in the in the. Yeah, (laughs) in the the garage, when he backs up and it's just kind of slowly walking towards him. It's terrible. Now, I understand there's only so much prosthetics you can put on a dog and, you know, working with animals is kind of a iffy thing to be. I don't mean iffy ethically. I mean, it's a pain in the butt. Uh, but that did not look good. Um, the liquors, I was. The first shot where its tongue comes down is terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a couple. Like, the, I think the problem with the liquor sequence is the CGI is inconsistent. When it's good for that sequence, it's okay. Like it, it's acceptable. And then as it goes, uh, but there's other there's no gray areas. area. Yeah, it, there's there's no middle road with that. There's some places where it's terrible. There's others where it's okay. Uh, the final form of the tyrant, when they <laughs> did, when they weren't showing Neil McDonough's face in its chest, yeah. I I could I could live with it. I mean, it, it look is it bad? Yeah, it's not good. Was I comically laughing the way I was at the dog. Not quite. Yeah. Uh, the final the form I... of
2: the tyrant. I, I was, I was laughing. I was like, I guess this is where they ran out of, out of the, the real good budget for CGI because this looks horrendous. Now, when he's got the, when the, in the first form, I thought that was really well done.
1: They were able to do, I think they were able to do enough with like actual prosthetics on yeah. Madonna to make it, to make parts of it look, kind of creepy, believe it or not. But as it goes on, it gets worse. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's bits of this movie with the CGI that are just... If I hadn't watched Cowboy Bebop earlier this week and had plenty of other worse CGI to compare it to...
0: I've heard the CGI in Bruised isn't good either. Well, like the, whatever effects they're using, makeup, etc.,
1: I I very much differentiate between CGI and practical effects, and if we're talking the practical effects in Bruised, no, they're not great. Like some of them are okay,
0: but I just like by the end of this week, with the amount of crap that you've been watching and the uh, the the um, quality of filmmaking and t- across the board, I, I I'm just expecting you to be you know just to get on these podcasts one day with no shirt on and your pants on your head, going, "That's it, I've had it." <laughs>
1: look just for the record when it comes to cowboy bebop Mm -hmm. there's a scene in the opening episode where jet black crashes through a ceiling uh to to help bust up a casino robbery Mm -hmm. you can count the pixels as he's on the way down before he lands (laughs) it's terrible it's genuinely awful
0: literally like 10 words or less and then let's move on to the money
1: i don't have a whole lot for this movie um if you're a big fan of the video game franchise, you might get a kick out of seeing some of the sequences and some of the locations, but this is mostly a, this is a failure of writing first and foremost. And the actors aren't good enough or aren't given enough time to try and elevate it. Uh, The direction is not very good. The music is not very good. The effects are hit or miss. I, I don't think I have anything universally positive to say about this movie.
0: So this director did Hellbreeder, Dark Hunters, Forest of the Damned. Let me know if any of these sound familiar to you. F, as in the letter. Storage 24, the other side of the door, which sounds like a porn. 47, <laughs> 47 meters down. Uh, I've heard
2: forty seven. I've heard of 47 meters down.
0: That's the only one of these I've heard. And it's a sequel, which I'll get to in a moment. The Strangers, Pray at Night. 47 meters that. down, Uncaged.
1: And then uh, the pool. The
0: the Strangers Pray
1: at Night is a terrible sequel to a pretty good movie.
0: Yes. Um, On television, he directed two episodes of something called When Evil Calls, which does not have a hyperlink. And he directed a TV movie called Roadkill. Oh, my God, Jason. Uh, Roadkill.
2: Don't even. (laughs) I just need to tell you about
0: it. Please let me tell you about this um roadkill is a 2011 american television horror film it was released on dvd august 30th 2011. it stars casey barnfield oliver james something unpronounceable and stephen ray the film was shot on location in ireland jason oh jason it is the 24th film of the man eater series 20 24
2: Fantastic. films
0: I'm guessing the, he's not. He he is like just a director for hire, and not somebody that. Twenty-four had, films, did you say, of the Maneater series? Yes. Well, so now you
1: guys have to do a big marathon of these movies.
0: <laughs> I don't give him
2: any ideas, Robert, for the for getting me on the level of all the shit that Mark's put
0: you through.
1: You ru- you volunteered for Velocipastor, sir. You don't know the greatest
0: volunteer for Velocipastor. He pitched Velocipastor. Yeah, well, he volunteered they, for zombies.
1: that's kind of what I mean. Veloci-
2: Dude, have you seen Velocipastor? It is it is iconic. <laughs> well, it's something. <laughs> All right, speaking it of something. It is the greatest movie ever and I'm looking forward for Velocipastor 2. It's great. I'm sure,
1: all... I'm sure it's going to exist.
2: And I'm me and, sure that... of, me and Mark's making it. You just don't know it yet. SC
1: World. Yeah. Look, I have no doubt you guys might put together a better movie than the first Velocipastor.
0: <laughs> Alright, and speaking of Velocipastor, here comes the money.
1: We in the money. We in the money. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Would you like to tell us about the Spanish subtitles again?
1: Nah, I'm good. Okay. For the record, there is no money for this movie. <laughs> for the record, these tickets were given out for free That's your local.
0: All right, none of those things are true. On a twenty-five million dollars budget,
1: I paid to see it. I would have taken it. I w- I would have taken a papered seat if possible.
0: Anyway, on a twenty-five million dollar budget, this thing has made fourteen point four million dollars. Okay,
1: hold on. I'm going to at least acknowledge for a a brief moment. If this thing only had a $25 million budget, um, that explains the rapid shooting schedule that I'm going to assume led to some of these first take shots being like like this. thing. that's That's a shoestring budget. And I will at least compliment the movie in the following way for that low a budget. It didn't look like it did not. It did not look like its budget was that low. So kudos in that respect.
0: Uh, Principal photography began in greater Sudbury, Ontario, Canada. My God, (laughs) last year, October 17th of 2020, with Maxime Alexander serving as cinematographer. And she has worked on a lot of stuff. Um, that you've not heard of, most notably, The Hills Have Eyes, um, The Crazies, Maniac Silent Hill. Oh, she's actually directed a bunch of these. Um, Maniac Silent Hill Revelation 3D, The Other Side of the Door, which okay, well, hang on, I take that back. She didn't direct these, she was the cinematographer on them, as I said before. And these are a list of directors, I need to. Be better prepared. Um, she worked on Annabelle Creation, The Nun, Shazam, Crawl. Okay, so she's worked with this director a lot. Apparently,
1: she does a lot of this kind of film. Yeah, nepotism.
0: Um, anyway, no, principal. I, photographer...
1: I don't think this would be nepotism. I think no would nepotism just... is
0: when you hire your kid or your nephew.
2: Well, I'm pretty sure they're probably related.
0: Terrific. Um, principal photography began October 17th, 2020, and it was finished. Wow, okay, did you say <laughs> Rapid Fire, Robert? Because this thing was completed Christmas Eve same year.
1: So they shot this thing in less than a month?
0: Uh, about a, about less, eight weeks. Uh, yeah, about seven weeks. weeks. Yeah, from October 17th, October 17th to November, November to December. So yeah, okay, so a little over a eight sh- weeks. A shade, weeks. Over,
1: a shade over two months.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: yeah. They were about to lose this IP, weren't they? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what this reeks of like, oh, crap. Uh, We have to do something with the Resident Evil IP or we're going to lose it. Well, here we go. You got you got eight weeks.
0: Pre-production took place in early 2017, while Resident Evil, the final chapter, was still in theaters with Constantine film chairman Martin Moskowitz saying that a reboot of the series was in development and producer James Wan expressing interest in the project. In December of 2018, it was announced that Johan Roberts was attached to write and direct the film. However, Juan later confirmed the same month that he was no longer involved in the project and said yeah, that news this... of his involvement was premature.
1: Yeah, look, this had, it, you couldn't, it's very clear that James Juan wasn't even on the mailing list for this thing. So this like... was
0: inspired by John Carpenter's films Halloween, Cell Phone Precinct no. 13, and The no. Fog. No. I, I'm just sharing what it says you, here.
1: You can read the wiki all you want. I don't <laughs> care what the director says. Uh-huh. This thing draws... Unless you're talking about some of what the Resident Evil franchise drew some of its inspiration from, maybe. There's nothing of <laughs> Assault on Precinct 13 or The Fog in this movie, if we're talking about the stylings of John Carpenter. All
0: right. Well, like I said, this thing has earned... And its five-day weekend, as it competed with Encanto and House of Gucci, uh, $14.4 point, point, million. Excuse me. Um, I went through a lot of this yesterday. I'm not repeating all the same information again. Uh, Just it, know it, it does that somewhat... it debuted at number five between Eternals and Clifford the Big Red Dog. It
1: does somewhat boggle the mind that a $25 million movie with a worldwide release of a major IP, is not going to make a profit.
0: Can I talk about how I don't understand the logic of of putting this out when they did? Like, consider this. They made the move, uh, if I remember correctly, let me pull pull it up again. They made the move to push this into November. Um, Yeah, it was supposed to be a
2: spring release, wasn't it?
0: Okay. Okay. Um doesn't say world premiere in France, blah 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 blah. Okay, it was delayed from its original release date of September 3rd and 9th of 2021. Yeah, I remember being really annoyed about that because had it come out September 3rd, you um okay, so September 3rd because that's when Shang-Chi came out. Um, if I remember correctly,
1: well, sure, but didn't we talked about this? Like, Shang-Chi got to run unopposed for like
0: four weeks, right? Well, it, it was supposed to come out. It, let's if it had come out the following week, the 10th, um, the its only other its only other competitor was Malignant, which was day and date on HBO Max, and we now know Tanked the following week in September. Its only competition was Cry Macho in the Eyes of Tammy Faye. Yeah, and then. There were plenty of which would have been fine because it's only other big competition that weekend was Dear Evan Hansen. You stink. He really does. (laughs) (laughs) So, my point being, like September would have been a great month for this and it would have had some breathing room.
1: I don't, yeah, I'm with you. I don't understand bumping this to November. I really don't. Unless they were desperate to fix some stuff in post production still. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't know what they fixed because it didn't look much better. (laughs) It look it could have been worse.
0: Here's the thing: the movie yeah. had to have been locked well before that, um, which means that they they were done with whatever they're going to do with this movie well before they decided to make those moves. And again, I don't know who thought this was a good idea. And and I'm I'm reading like the marketing on this and I'll just, um, official images of the film were released August thirty first, twenty twenty, and were with mixed response. And then a trailer was released October 7th. Okay, but then it was it was over. But my point being, like, had they kept the Sept- any one of the September dates, I think this thing had a fighting chance. Pushing September. it, the idea that this was going to be good enough to compete with... Like, here's the thing. Unconto had its date a year ago. There was always something Disney that was going to be released Thanksgiving weekend. The House, House of Gucci, you know, they didn't know about until later... Um, but then again, like the weekend before that was Ghostbusters, or it would have been. Um, I think at one point it was Top Gun Maverick, um, and probably something else. My point is, November is always a big hit movie month. Did you really think this was going to be competitive and a big hit? This is an August or September movie in a normal year or January, like January, how, February. Yeah, how Scream is being released in January and not this boggles the mind. Like, I don't. Again, granted it's two separate companies, but I, I just I just want to be in the room when they come up with these decisions and go, who here is smoking crack? Like
1: <laughs> the answer's all of them.
0: <laughs> Everyone. Um let's uh there's really not much else to talk about with the money. This this thing just for the
1: record, I'm with you. This should have been in September, and you just hope that over a handful of weeks it can mm-hmm. eke over the it can eke towards like the seventy million dollar mark.
0: Mm-hmm. Sony has, I think, like a distribution deal with Netflix. So, I mean, as soon as this thing gets pulled out of theaters, which it's not competitive it, with anything coming depend,
1: out. And depending on what Netflix is paying them for that, that might mm-hmm. be – they might not – everything it gets in this, in its theatrical run might be gravy to them. Yeah. De- again, depending on what Netflix is paying them. Sony yep. is being kept afloat by Netflix at this point. Yeah, Sony because... is, the,
0: is the default streamer for Netflix. Um, yeah. Sorry, Um, Netflix is the default streamer for um, Sony. Because, boy, they're releasing nothing but crap. I'm actually wondering if that wasn't a a proposed idea at one point, was maybe to just put this directly onto Netflix or sell it to a streamer. Because, again, like, I don't know what, when they got feedback on this, I don't know who thought, based on the feedback, this was going to hit big in the theaters. Like, this thing to be made for a television audience. Yeah. All right, um, we're all sleepy. We're all like yawning and burping and <laughs> sticking our tongues out. That's just me. Um, I did wanna yeah, bring that this... was just you. <laughs> I did want to bring this up um, because I knew this was going to be a very short segment. since so We just did an extended money segment yesterday. All right, we were, uh... everyone,
1: it is time to remove your pants <laughs> and urinate all over Ridley Scott.
0: If you're into that sort of thing. Um, so we don't have to spend too long on this, but I thought it was worth talking about kind of a split money news segment. Ridley Scott blames millennials <laughs> for the last Jules box office failure, a.k.a. Ridley Scott screams at clouds. Um
1: Okay, just for the record, and I need to get this out of the way because it's something that bothers me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Words have meaning. Categorizations have meaning. Millennials are a very specific group of people born between a specific set of years. This is true of every generation it was true of generation x it was true of generation z Z, which technically comes after us it was true of the baby boomers like these are not adjectives to describe people younger than you or people older than you it's one of the reasons i hate the okay boomer thing I, i really hated that because half the time you weren't saying it to people who were baby boomers you're saying it to people who were born in 1960 yeah like right. those aren't you are saying it to people that it's not applicable to. And I dislike the categorization of everyone young as a millennial. Millennials are give or take my age coming up on 40. You want to yell at the young people, just yell at the young people. Everyone does it. They suck. And everyone who's old enough knows when you were a young person, you sucked.
0: But right. quit misusing words. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Ridley Scott doesn't have one regret about his direction or, or, Disney's promotion of his 2021 historical drama The Last Duel, speaking of movies that should not have come out when they did. The box office failure is the fault of young people and their cell phones, he says.
1: I I love the inclusion. Hang on, hang on. I love the
0: inclusion of their cell phones. Yeah, like cell phones are a recent invention. Um, You know, I I know we spend a lot of time philosophizing about the state of cinema. We spent an entire podcast on it. You know, did. but we're we're also not filmmakers. We're, we're people who just watch a lot of movies and are passionate about them and like talk about them with friends. And here's a guy that like is a professional in the art of making movies and can't come up with anything better than them kids and them cell phones. It's the look. It's the look, end of cinema, I tell you.
1: Well, look, he did the principal Skinner thing.
0: <laughs> Maybe that's wrong. No, it's the no, kids no, that it, are wrong. Is it me?
1: Am I out of touch? No, no, it's the children who are wrong. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's literally what he's doing here.
0: Yeah, how you have that level of cognitive dissonance is, is pretty astonishing. Like, this the director- guy
1: also made Gods and Kings, so he's a little bit off his rocker.
0: The director known for commercially and critical, critically successful films such as Alien, Thelma and Louise, and The Martian appeared on comedian Mark Marin's podcast WTF on Monday. Among the topics discussed was The Last Duel, the film directed by uh, – the film Scott directed from a screenplay by Nicole uh, Hollis Center. Ben Affleck and Matt Damon based on Eric Yeager's book of the same name, which only made $27 million worldwide just by carrying a $100 million budget. No, Disney did a fantastic promotion job, said Scott, when Marin implied the company <laughs> may have been the reason for The Last Duel's low performance. You
1: know, in in fairness to what Ridley Scotts about just said, Disney, they put that thing everywhere, man. Yeah, I was like, going to say, you, like, I saw... He's not, he's not wrong when he said Disney did their job trying to market it. They... There were commercials for that thing everywhere.
0: They, I was going to say, like, when I saw <laughs> The Eyes of Tammy Faye. <laughs> Hi, Alex. Uh, thank you, Alex. Um, when I saw The Eyes of Tammy Faye and a couple of other, I think, The Green Knight, I saw a whole bunch of movies where I saw this a trail in. they got this thing out there. There were yeah. absolutely television commercials for it um there was you know people were like if you weren't in like film twitter you wouldn't have known about it i'm like that's bullshit
1: yeah that anyone complaining about that it it was living under a rock there were commercials for this thing on every major television station
3: yeah
1: there were there were ads for this on the internet it was all over youtube there were twitch ad breaks that featured it this thing was promoted properly he's entirely correct when he says that if that host is saying that is trying to lay the blame on this thing for Disney, not promoting it, Disney bent over backwards to make sure people knew this thing existed.
0: Now, Disney's mistake, and I don't know how much of this is a contractual thing because this is yet another one of the Fox orphans that they adopted, Yeah, um, was putting it out in the middle of October when everybody else was delaying their films till then. This is yet again... Like, I know in a traditional movie year where you don't have COVID and, you you know, and all the other stuff that we've covered ad nauseum, I'm kind of sick of talking about, um, putting something in October, September because you're considering it as a, as a possible Oscar contender makes all the sense in the world. When everybody delayed what would traditionally have come out in June and July into October, or even worse, like No Time to Die, which was delayed from Easter till October... Um there was no reason to stick to your guns on this one. This should have, this should have another bit September one, or it, they should have waited until January. Like you
1: throw, you, you throw this in January. So it sneaks in as an Oscar, as still an Oscar potential, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, this was a, there was a issue with the release here. I think you're entirely correct. And let's be honest, even under ideal circumstances, $100 million is an overinflated budget for this thing. This was never going to be a big commercial success. And if Ridley Scott thinks otherwise, he's deluding himself.
0: All right. Let me, let me finish up this article. Um, so, yeah, so this is the bosses love the movie because I was concerned it was not for them, but they really liked the movie. So their so their advertising, publicity, et cetera, was excellent. I think what it boils down to, here's the meat of this. That's why I brought it up. I think what it boils down to is what we've got today are the audiences who were brought up on these fucking cell phones, these fucking cell phones. <laughs> and there
1: goes the there goes the rest of our potential monetization. I knew
0: we were net. We never had a chance when Jason was on this podcast. Um. So I <laughs> yeah, I and
2: I and I've not said nothing to his segment. And yet, to <laughs> be clear, no, like
0: Jason's behaved himself. The millennial, the millennial, do not ever want to be taught anything unless you are told it on a cell phone. Scott continued. This is a broad stroke, but I think we're dealing with it right now with Facebook. Could you sound like a more older man, sir? He could.
1: He, he really could. Not.
0: There uh, is a misdirection that has happened where it's given the wrong kind of confidence to this latest generation, I think. Okay. So his essentially his big contention is that nobody saw his movie about a rape because the, nobody likes alleged, to learn. About
1: his- hang on, hang on. Allegedly. Hang the heck on. Yeah, alleged. The, whether or not that guy was guilty is still a subject of hot debate amongst the historical community.
0: Thematically, the movie was about a rape that may or may not have taken place, Captain Pedantic. Well, I bring it up
1: simply because if his argument is, I, be, I produced a history textbook and, and nobody <laughs> wants to learn, no, you're an idiot. That's not what you made. You made a drama. You adapted a dramatization of a. You dramatized a historical fiction work.
0: That's what you did. This argument that nobody wants to go to the movie to learn nothing doesn't doesn't hold water when Cry Macho wasn't about anything particularly historic, and no one went to go see that either. There's been, you know, the laundry list of movies nobody went to go see this year is far and wide, and many of them were purely fictional tales, tales that in any other year would have drawn an audience. We've been through all this already. It's what what kills me about this, and the reason I brought this up to talk about is how is it that three neckbeards figured all of this out, but the guy making movies and living in Hollywood for decades couldn't figure out that, hey, no, people aren't going to the movies unless it's Spider Man or Ghostbusters because they're afraid they're going to die from COVID? Jesus Christ, it's not that hard to understand. Yeah. It could be.
1: <laughs> it, it clearly is for, this, for Mr. Scott. The um...
0: fact that that's not even a consideration of his is, is like galling to me.
1: It is. It, it look. It's it's stupid. It's asinine. It's completely disconnected from reality. That's that's what that's what's going. That's what's happening there. Uh, look, I mentioned. I don't think this thing would have found a major financial return even under ideal circumstances. It's not that kind of movie. The other I thing. I think that... you're. And look. Go ahead. Sorry. For the record, Ridley Scott, your piss poor ripoff of Rashomon in terms of your structure. Shame on you. At least Kurosawa, a real visionary and genius of filmmaking, had the common sense to make your story about different perspe- about a sto- the same events told from different perspectives to be to have different perspectives. You told the same stupid story three ways and then cl- closed with a Renfair battle reenactment. <laughs> <laughs> Nuts to you and your movie.
0: <laughs> Nobody saw it because it's not good. Get over it. So this is not the only thing he's in the news for. Apparently, you know, having two back-to-back films uh, come out, and it <laughs> having two back-to-back films come out got him a lot of press because he had to pr- he had to promote the last jewel, and then he went out again to promote to promote House of Gucci. And House of um, Gucci
1: is just a bedazzled turd.
0: Not what I'm here to discuss. What <laughs> I would like to discuss. <laughs>
1: I know, you're going to talk about House of Gucci later, so that's my take on it. Marks will be given late at a later date on a different podcast.
0: Uh, I can't find the exact quote here, but he uh, said something about the Marvel movies that, for a day... Yeah, yeah.
2: It, I, that's what I, I was going to ask. Isn't he the one that said, like, the Marvel movies aren't cinematic, or weren't actually considered movies, they're just, like uh explosions or something
1: he and scorsese had similar points to make about the mcu and in fairness to both of them they're not entirely wrong i think they're overblowing it and i think they're just a little bit bitter about the direction of cinema as a cinema goer don't get me wrong i'm not happy about it either
0: okay but um Hey, let me let me read this uh, th- this was the quote okay this is funny as hell to me despite his prolific nature you probably won't see a traditional superhero m- among ridley scott's creative output anytime soon no shit the film this is from the washington post by the way the filmmaker made his thoughts on the exceedingly popular genre of entertainment quite clear in a recent interview referring to the movies as boring as shit <laughs> well dep- uh, th- Depending
1: on which one we're talking about, he's not entirely wrong.
0: The screenplays are the issue, Scott told Deadline, adding that if you think about it, he sort of made three super movies himself, Alien, Gladiator, and Blade Runner, none of which suffered from weak stories or lackluster writing. So what's going on over there with Marvel and DC? Um... Okay, uh, he said, sorry, I got off the rails, but I mean, come on, they're mostly saved by special effects, and that's becoming boring for everyone who works with special effects if you've got the money. So, my my issue with this is goes both ways. My issue is both with Ridley Scott and then the Twitter reaction. Um, the Twitter reaction. The, the Twitter reaction was, kill Ridley Scott dead. <laughs> um because he he dared attack our sacred marvel movies and this is why i nearly got into a fight with everybody on the network over ghostbusters like can we please have some discernible taste and d- degree of self-control with this stuff it's it's fine to like this stuff it's fine to say i had a great time at the movies i took my kids we all had a goal c- let's celebrate the cinema i'm okay with all of that but when you know but when somebody makes a there's a bad job with your like we just talked about Resident Evil, and they didn't do a great job with this with this IP. We're not ready to burn down Sony, you know. Well, and, and hold on, and,
1: that's mostly because it's already on fire.
0: <laughs> Shut up. Um, you know Look, what I let, mean. We did. Sorry, we haven't gone to the tea shop and film company and <laughs> trash their offices because they destroyed our our sacred IP. I don't I, think I'm they really have hating I, that I don't think me. they have a physical yeah with
2: It's a Starbucks down on the corner. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, we're really getting caught up in the analogy, aren't we? We are um, a little bit. So my my point being, like, if we could get past the, you know, they 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 messed up my favorite IP or guy attacked my favorite IP, and now we must we must meet with equal or greater ferocity and lack of class. I Look, would really appreciate it. On the other asking, hand,
1: you're asking Twitter to not be Twitter at that point. It's I'm stuff
0: asking yeah. people to have some self-control.
2: Yeah, that's you know, not going to happen.
0: I not understand that, but I can but I can wish upon a star. Um, and as Robert is fond of saying, it's my podcast. I'll say what I want. Um, but you know, but Ridley Scott is not without blame here too. You know, him getting mad that nobody you know wants to see his vanity project called House of Gucci or you know, his historical vanity project called Les Duel and then go, you know, it's this fucking Marvel movies that are the problem here and cell phones and children. And if I mentioned Get Off My Lawn and it's like, I do you not want to be taken seriously at all? Like, what's wrong with you? Like It's like, doesn't he have an assistant or a handler or somebody that's been like, Ridley, shut up, shut up. Like, just Just talk about the things you know. Stuff that ended in the seventies. Well, hang on. In fairness to his point, like I said,
1: he's not entirely wrong when he says there's some serious issues of writing with the Marvel movies. Got, we've
0: we've documented about... the dreck on this podcast. <laughs> I did it again. Yeah.
1: yeah, we've talked about it, and he's not entirely wrong. I think, I think he's being deliberately inflammatory, and he's that being the point deliberately... I'm making. Yeah, he's being inflammatory, and he's doing so at Twitter, which is. like it's not even gasoline there's there's Mm -hmm. better accelerants than gasoline he's tossing not even he's like lit a book of matches not just one match you got a book of them and he's thrown them at acetone (laughs) like like it's a bunch of um old uh nitrate films soaked in acetone Mm it's fireballs that that's what happened here
0: I, i just you know I think, if, I think you owe it to yourself as a filmmaker, you owe it to yourself as a professional that if, you, if your movie doesn't hit, to take it with a, you know, to lose with grace, complain privately. Um, you know, I, I said something similar. Nobody about, does
1: anything with grace anymore, Mark. You know that. <laughs> yeah. to
0: all, with all things grace and dignity, this is my wish upon the, upon the, the, the yeah, community of people. That doesn't I,
1: happen. I, wish that, I wish for that as well. I would mm-hmm. love that. And then in about three minutes, we're going to go on to a segment where I trash on critics.
0: (laughs) Where we are completely undignified and have no grace. Um, Because that's what
1: hits.
0: (laughs) Look, I, I, I welcome Ridley Scott to enter into the debate. But think about what it is you're saying. And going those darn Marvel movies and then not in any way. Like, if you make a movie and it doesn't hit, at some point you have to ask yourself, what did I do wrong? What is it? Did I did I make a good movie? Maybe I did. But did I make something that people can relate to? Maybe I didn't. And that's on me too. And that he's not demonstrating any of that publicly. He might be thinking it privately. Who knows? But like you know, my dad's in his 70s, and you know, his his ability to take ownership of anything he says or does is limited at best. And that may be also this is (laughs) Ridley's Got may just be suffering from old man disease, you know. As you said before, it's the kids that are wrong. But I, you're still a public figure. You know, Christopher Rattledge isn't a public figure, and so when he says asinine shit, it doesn't matter. It's just his own Facebook, which is, you know, a a, a small circle. When Ridley Scott says something asinine, it's all over Twitter, and it makes the headlines, you know, on Variety and and the Washington Post, apparently.
1: Because these are sad, pathetic institutions built around clickbait and outrage trying to sell you things.
0: (laughs) Speaking of grace and dignity. All right. That's what, it, you,
1: gonna... we're gonna try and pretend that the pseudo-journalism that goes on in the entertainment field, it was that before the entire before the entire journalistic systems that are in place were revealed to be shoddy
0: with all things grace
1: that and... was the dignified way to say that, <laughs> I could have been much worse
0: no, with all things grace and dignity
3: Are you ready? Yeah. No! I said!
0: Are you ready? Oh No! God! No! God, please, no! 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 This segment was brought to you out of order by AmazonMusic.com Uh, yeah. Uh, we are giving away a free, what are we doing? Free? Yeah. Mark, I can't yeah. afford free. A 30-day free trial of the Amazon Music Unlimited service. To try out Amazon uh, Music Unlimited service, go to getamazonmusic.com slash W2M network. Uh, there's a link in the description of this podcast. To stream all you want, anything you want, all 70 million songs that are currently on the service for a whole 30 days. That's so a month of music, a soundtrack to your life, don't you understand? Anything you
1: want to find, you can find it there.
0: And if you like it, you keep it, and if you don't, uh, you can cancel it. No fuss, no muss, no pains in the butt. All righty. And if you've
1: come to to us after Encanto and my slight drubbing of Lin-Manuel Miranda and you think you might want to dip your toe into more hip-hop, I can assure you that the Army of Pharaohs is, in fact, on Amazon Music, and you should give their stuff a try.
0: All right. So um, the critics absolutely hated this thing. It's got a 28%, which is a flat. The audience score seemed to like it. I'm guessing it's a lot of the fans of the video game at 69%, so not bad. Nice. The critical consensus says, Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City is an affectionately faithful adaptation that proves pr- further proves its source material is ill-suited to the big screen. I don't think that's fair.
1: Well, hang on. Now, <laughs> here's what I mean by what I'm about to say. They've had how many shots at adapting this thing to the big screen in and- <laughs>
0: One guy doing it 1,200 times is not how many shots. This is essentially set two shots.
1: I'm just saying, when you've got enough... At this point, there's enough evidence to make that a not unreasonable conclusion. I disagree with it, but that's not being pulled out of the ether. All right.
0: Uh, Rosie Knight of Nerdist. It's fun, frantic, and frightening in the best way in other alliterations. I appreciate the alliteration. At least it wasn't a stupid
1: metaphor. But and first of all, we're not the arbiter of fun. The franticness is a negative, and it is not frightening. This is yeah. not a scary movie.
2: The only thing that was scary of me is to realize I was the only one in the theater, and knowing that I had to face you two to review this movie and question our friendship.
1: There were some loud people. There were like five other people in the theater when I saw this. I didn't get a good look at one of them but there was one guy who was loudly talking to the movie screen. <laughs> Mark. Stop, Mark, was- was the same stop wasting well. ammo. <laughs> uh, I believe he at one point implored the actors to stop wasting ammo. Had a very weird like Krabappel style laugh. A little ha! Whenever something amused him. And I kind of wanted to strangle him by the time this was over. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sean Keen of CNET. A movie that will delight fans looking for a fun Easter egg filled ride through the first two games in the 25-year-old survival horror series.
1: Delight's a bit strong, but the rest of it's not wrong.
2: Yeah, Delight is is, um, putting a dress on a turd um, and, you know, building it up for a very big letdown. So, admirable, admirable. I don't know How, do you... Out. Yeah. Uh, How was, do you... Can't hot tonight. How do you A good
1: opportunity. I'm reading Amy Nicholson's blurb. Damn it, between... I was
0: about to do that one. <laughs> go, Shut go, up. Go, 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 go. Amy Nicholson of the New York Times top critic seems like for... the kind of girl you would go on. a. To...
1: The New York Times, a former newspaper.
0: See, you really could have waited for me to finish my bet. <laughs> okay, Take please. Two. Amy, Nich- Amy Nicholson of the New York Times top critic seems like the kind of girl you would go on a platonic tape to the movies with, but you, it, I, I don't see ever getting romantic with. And she says... Why do only... you keep trying to fix me up
1: with these random critics in <laughs> well, not just, I mean
2: anyway? Well, we're, we're, anyone... we're going to see why here, because she calls you out.
0: <laughs> the only surprise is that Robert's... Not that Robert's. <laughs> talking about the director shuns cheap jump scare surprises in favor of well-crafted suspense scenes that play out like a game of three-card Monty.
1: You've never played a real game of three-card Monty, have you? Uh, oh,
0: she, 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 yeah, yeah. i only seen that in the movies. She, yeah,
1: she's
2: probably played, but it's probably with the uh, a deaf and blind kid that she could
1: take advantage of. <laughs> she probably still lost half the hands.
0: Chris Knight of National Post. Welcome to Raccoon City plays more like an extended cut of a shampoo commercial. <laughs> <laughs> How no do we- you? Okay, no, you know, hang on. The long-running horror action franchise, Resident Evil, now with 100% less <laughs> Jebovovich.
1: <laughs> you know what? It took me a minute to figure out where he was going with that, and you know what? He's not wrong. Yeah, I agree more- with that. For people in that scenario to have their luscious locks still that well quaffed, yeah. I'm shocked there wasn't a Pantene product placement. Uh, also, yeah,
2: sho- they could have did a really good head-and-shoulders bits with that with one of the zombies.
1: They could have. Uh, to be Also, to be clear, getting Mila Jovovich away from this franchise is one of the best things you could have done. It's just sad that this movie is not very good.
0: Sam Stone of CBR. A Fuck Sam player. Stone. A former website. While Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City brings the scares and fidelity to the franchise's video game series, it aims to do too much at once.
1: No. Like, this is not an ambitious movie, sir. And CBR is a terrible website and always has been. It might are... aim, but it's
2: 100 miles
1: off the mark.
0: Hey, Jason, this one's for you, okay? So, Robert, let, let Jason take this one. All right, Matt Donato of Paste Magazine. And I besu- I assume the point of Taste Magazine is tips on eating it. Uh, at- that was I was about to make that joke. <laughs> We've been doing this too long together. Really at have. last, the terror. At last, the terrifying Resident Evil movie you've been waiting for.
2: I hope this is about eating because he can eat a dick.
0: <laughs> With all uh- things, grace and dignity.
1: See that that's <laughs> that's what it could have been. Uh, look, <laughs> moron. <laughs> You don't get to tell me what I've been waiting for. get bent.
2: Yeah, I've been waiting to hit the fucking lottery, but don't mean it's going to happen. Or I've been waiting for a good Resident Evil movie, and I'm still waiting.
0: So this one's for you, Robert. And, you know, here's the thing. And I don't normally mind that I, I, I tolerate it as part of the natural course of conversation. People don't always wait for the other one to finish. But a lot of times you step on my jokes and you step all on right. my reading and it, it gets a little frustrating. So this one's for you. I am I am the volleyball setter putting the ball <laughs> okay. just above the net for you to spike with all your Robertery. Are you I ready?
1: Could, I could make a reference to a, a sports anime about volleyball and tell you which character you are, but I won't because you wouldn't get it. Much like that, yes.
0: Robert Shager of Variety. That's Nick, not Robert. Oh fuck me, Nick <laughs> Shager of Variety. You miserable,
1: pathetic outlet. <laughs> Top critic, you a- Variety. You're a- you are the internet equivalent of the National Enquirer. You're a piss poor tabloid, and nothing more. Come TMZ- on, tell us how you really feel. TMZ has more dignity and accuracy than anything that comes out of Variety.
0: Are we good? Good. Dignity. <laughs> and grace. Writer-director Johannes Roberts supplies plenty of fan service, but scarce coherent plotting and even fewer scares. I mean, you can't set
1: me up for that because I tend to agree with it. I was
0: going <laughs> was, I was to say, what
2: are you setting them up for? A failure?
1: No, no, oh, no. no. He, he's setting I, me up to dunk on Variety, which is a terrible, terrible outlet. Then yeah, everyone it, honestly, a paycheck honestly, I, I just wanted about.
0: to read somebody from Variety so Robert could lamb it. For once, I wanted to say, I wanted to reference oh, no. Variety and welcome Robert's trashing of it instead of missing the point that I'm sharing a news item. So didn't it didn't really matter what he said.
1: I, Variety I want, doesn't have a news section. They only have opinion pieces, and you know that, There's it. one I want Robert to tackle,
0: EJ. All right, I got it. EJ Moreno: A Flickering Myth. B-horror right. movies are precisely my cup of tea, and this film hits all those notes. While it's a messy video game adaptation, it's a fun 90s horror action throwback.
1: I'm going to go out on a limb and say you weren't <laughs> alive in the 90s to see the 90s action horror movies because no.
2: There was no there was barely any action Absolute no horror.
1: (laughs) If this were a 90s action horror, I can tell you what you would have gotten. Uh, First of all, you would have had, believe it or not, less profanity, more nudity. There would have been a sex scene where one of the participants turns into a zombie (laughs) mid-coitus. And and don't tell me I'm wrong about that.
2: We would have got Leprechaun 3.
1: (laughs) Entirely possible. Like, this... No, buddy.
0: All right, this last one is for Jason, and then I'm gonna call on a night because I really wanted to keep this under 90 minutes, and so did Jason. Johnny Oleksinki of the New York Post, top critic. It's the first watchable entry in the series. Oh, for, get once, for once you don't envy the lucky people who get killed by the zombies.
2: Yeah, I, I would've rather been I would have rather died than watch the rest of this movie because this was absolute outside of the the, the callback to my nostalgic cinematography. This movie sucked, and he sucks for even writing that. So, this is my question. I, I'm and I'm going to start a petition. I'm going to petition for Robert Winfrey to become <laughs> a top critic because. He has a better grip.
0: What are we missing? We, we've, we've, we've gone down this road before. Like We have some of the YouTube elements for top critics to be, um, to be at least a critic on Rotten Tomatoes. Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. To get on Rotten Tomatoes, we're close, but we're missing something.
1: Uh, it's mostly to do with subscriber count. So everybody out there, if you want to see us featured on Rotten Tomatoes, <laughs> we, there's a few things we need. Anyone sure. on YouTube... Please like, comment, and subscribe. Help us build our profile there. Anyone on Apple on Apple Podcasts, please give us a star rating. If you could write a review, that would be very helpful.
2: And five star, five.
1: Look, I'd like a five star review, but just not a one. We're better than a one star program here. Okay, that's the we're be- that's the only thing I I really kind of ask for. We're not a one star program.
0: We're a
2: solid three or better. On most days.
1: On most right. days,
0: yeah. <laughs> so how do I become a tomato Tomato approved? Uh, da, da, none of that matters. Okay, so video. A consistent review output of a minimum of two years. We have, we have been doing this since 2014.
1: Well, hang on. We haven't been We're doing good. video since 2014.
0: Uh, a minimum of 30,000 subscribers on a video publishing platform. I don't know what we have on YouTube.
1: Not even close.
0: Uh, so broadcast.
1: change, maybe three.
0: Uh, a regular appearance providing reviews on a major, well-regarded. Nope, not not that either. Um, He's well-regarded. Everybody loves Robert. No,
1: no, 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 not me. The the service, the where I'm, my, my
0: platform. Okay. Well, yeah.
2: Then I have to leave the. I have to leave the <laughs> network.
1: It's not you. It's <laughs> not just you. Don't worry about it.
0: Uh, so for publications, video, uh, consistent review output of a minimum of two years. We got that. A minimum of 200,000 subscribers on a video publishing platform. I think you said we're missing that by a by a margin of quite a lot. A couple right? of zeros. Um, all right. And so none of the rest of this matters. So podcast. Okay. Uh, consistent review output for a minimum of two years.
1: Oh, yeah. Got that.
0: Yep. We got that in spades. Publish at least four episodes per month. I do four episodes per fucking week.
1: No um, kidding. We're about to, <laughs> yeah, d- dude. We did we did one yesterday. We're doing this, and we got one
0: tomorrow. And then Ronnie is, and then if we're counting television, Ronnie is coming on Thursday. So yeah, you know, I am, I am a machine yeah. to the point where I almost broke down before this podcast. But that's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> at least two hundred. tried to ra- navigate Amazon. At, that was the tip of the iceberg. At <laughs> least at least two hundred ratings on Apple Podcasts. I so- think we have two. Uh, we have more than two, but
1: we have less. We have less than the required number. So again, if anyone, uh, if you're listening to this and you want to help us out, give us a star rating on Apple Podcasts and help us make it all the way to Rotten Tomatoes.
2: Just go. to see, just to see, Winfrey lose <laughs> his
0: shit. What was it? Two hundred thousand on on YouTube in, subscribers. In yes. Yeah, Okay. And we 000. have that. Right, we only have three thousand. Okay. So we need two. Need a bigger audience. One hundred and ninety-seven thousand people that's
1: again we could do that in a weekend if we have something go viral yes anything so point being anyone on youtube please like comment and subscribe anyone on apple podcasts please give us a star rating a written review would be helpful but it's not entirely but it's not wholly necessary uh and that can help push us towards getting look rotten tomatoes is weird there was a period of time when they let everyone in and that's how fat guy in the movies got on there and they, they're all now grandfathered in, and yeah. anyone else trying to get in has a hard
0: look. I've got a Walker. Doug freaking Walker is on Rotten Tomatoes. Look, Jeremy I've got Johns a... is. all those people, all those Collider people are like, come on.
2: We need have to a... befriend a bigger show.
0: Look, I have yeah. a friend. I have a friend who is a professional
1: film reviewer, it's one of his jobs. Mm-hmm. And he applied to be on Rotten Tomatoes, and they rejected him for quality reasons, which I find hilarious given some of the people we talk about.
0: <laughs> we hate you, Michael Medved. We hate you. We really, anyway. You hate <laughs> Michael Medved.
1: I have so many others.
0: <laughs> I I, uh, I just listened to our last night in Soho review. All right, that's it. we're done. Um, we're at ninety minutes, and I promised Jason we'd be done by now. So, just really quick. Yesterday we reviewed Encanto. Tomorrow, Robert and I will be reviewing Bruised, Born a Warrior. Uh, sorry, Born a Champion and Warrior. It's an MMA focused um, triple feature. Thursday, sure, those movies are not very good. Thursday, myself and Alexis Hain are reviewing Animaniacs, and then Ronnie and I are reviewing Why the Last Man. Friday is a re airing of our two Volbeat reviews, and then <laughs> Saturday is a. Uh, Jesse and Al are talking Stars and Stripes Volume 2, and that's preceding our review of Stargirl Season 2. Um, this Sunday, Robin and I are doing. Um, alternative commentary for Tank Davis versus Isaac Cruz for all you boxing fans. Uh, last week, we not did trivial
1: you... chance Jervonta Davis after that fight with a win. And I, he's heavily, like he should win that. He could win that fight. Maybe one handed.
0: We have Disney trivia in the archive. Now you season two review um, last week, we reviewed resident evil, the final chapter. We had a re airing of our resident evil on trial uh, from a few years ago. Ghostbusters Afterlife, Hawkeye, My Life as a Weapon, Black Friday featuring Bruce Campbell. My son and I reviewed Clifford, Home Sweet, Home Alone, and Ape for Christmas. And then um, we then you uh, went into the woods to live deliberately. <laughs> and then Jesse and I, which is getting quite popular on YouTube, as a matter of fact, uh, we did a live stream of Clutch live from the Doom Saloon. And Friday, myself, and speaking of popular, myself and Robert Winfrey did a live stream of Tiafima Lopez losing his title in fabulous fashion to George Kambosos Jr. Uh,
1: I was about to say, if, if, if Gervonta Davis wins, and he probably will, mm-hmm. he's very good, and his opponent's a last-minute replacement, there's a decent chance he calls out Kambosos. All
0: right, Jason, go ahead and do your plugs. Robert, uh, chime in there. Don't repeat the same things I did. Let's get this done in two minutes. Go.
1: All right, you can find
2: me at Second and Short on any platform, TikTok, any podcasting platform, YouTube, and I think where else? Instagram. Um, that's pretty much it. Me and Mark are getting ready to do a triple feature coming up this coming Tuesday. Monday. Well,
0: this coming week.
2: At Monday, point,
0: December 6th. King Richard, the guilty and knight teeth.
2: Yeah, what Mark said. Um Outside of that, you can go back and listen to a couple of my appearances here in the archive, uh, where I've been joined by Mark and Pat for season one and two of you, and I'm going to pass it on over to Robert.
1: All right, you can find me covering professional wrestling three days a week over at 411mania.com in the Wrestling Zone, AW's Dark Elevation on Monday, MLW's Fusion Alpha on Wednesdays, and WWE SmackDown on Fridays. I also cover mixed martial arts action whenever there is such on Saturdays. Uh, this last week, there was not one. So Mark mentioned we covered uh, Teofimo Lopez and George Cambosis. This week, there was UFC on ESPN 31, headlined by Jose Aldo and Rob Font in a very relevant uh, bantamweight fight. I host the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. If you're interested in that particular sport and my thoughts on same – uh, give that a listen on whatever podcast platform you happen to prefer. I deeply appreciate all the support I get over there. Uh, this week was a review, uh, excuse me, a preview of the upcoming UFC event and some thoughts on the boxing results from the weekend. That was the last part of
0: your podcast.
1: You don't even listen to my podcast. I you? did.
0: I listened to the <laughs> boxing part. You. <laughs> You jerk. <laughs> uh,
1: lastly, and I'll be very brief about this because I've said it before, but I do feel like saying it again. Uh, we had our best month ever for the month of November here on the and Broadcasting Network, a subgroup of the W2M Network. Uh, we did over 2,000 audio downloads, and that's to say nothing of all the YouTube and other all the live streaming uh, attention we've been able to generate. So I just wanted to say thank you all very, very much for that. Uh, it, it warms my cold, dead heart to see our numbers go up on occasion <laughs> uh you've all i thank everyone who's put in a lot of work towards that end and i definitely thank all of you for listening and all of you for sharing our shows around with any of your friends or enemies who you think might enjoy them and if you happen to tell a stranger
0: i'm very grateful for that uh so we are the podcast that most represents grace and dignity <laughs> no <laughs> no
1: i i wish i that's that's gonna be that that I know that podcast. It ain't this one, but uh, <laughs> either way, we thank you all very, very much for all of the support that you give us. Please continue to do so, if at all possible. Uh, means the world to us. We are trying to grow this thing into something that might actually make money at some point in the near future. Mark, I figured it out.
2: I figured out how to grow our audience. You know where I'm going with it, don't you? <laughs> Me and Melissa need to do another podcast together. We'll get those numbers up, and we'll get to that 200,000.
0: All things grace and goodness. You
1: just mimed suicide.
0: Be (laughs) well, be safe. I
1: I said that only because our audio-only listeners might
0: not have appreciated that joke. (laughs) Be well, be safe, and behave.